Wednesday, April 6th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me again is my pal, Jared Smola. And Jared, this arguably, at least, is one of the biggest shows all year. And that's because it's basically our rankings reveal show. Now, this has happened at various points throughout the year. And really, this year, it's probably going to happen at various points because draft season has changed in size and shape and timing as we've gotten more best ball drafting involved. So this year is probably the earliest we've done this, but it's really our rankings reveal show here. It is. And of course, these are, you know, living rankings at will and, you know, are going to change constantly. They already have a lot since we first posted them like a month ago now. They will quite a bit after the draft, obviously. But yeah, man, we started doing it because these best ball drafts, like you said, they start like before the Super Bowl sometimes even. Um, now, so it kind of, you know, meeting the demand. I, I like to have them. Like I didn't do any drafts this year until well, I, I did one before the projections were done, but I really wanted to try to wait to get those done. I, I think it's a big advantage and, you know, I guess this year we won't know for sure until, you know, we get the results at the end of the year, but I can tell you last year, some of my best best ball teams were drafts I did early on in the off season, like, you know, March, April. Um, and I really think it was because I think having projections and just, Digging into every team is a big advantage at, at this point of the offseason before we get to, you know, August where sort of everyone knows everything. Yeah, I certainly think that there's potential for an edge at this time of year when people are figuring things out. And, you know, depends on how much you think you have figured have things figured out and particular players that you pick out. But certainly having some level of working through those situations. And, you know, we could even argue about what rankings should look like right now, whether they should take in current ADP into account and adjust things there. But having any set of numbers helps you kind of assess what's going on out there. We're going to go position by position, talk about some guys that are going either ahead of or behind where we think they should go. And, you know, maybe single out some other particularly interesting situations. But Jared, because this process starts with you doing your projections and then me telling you what's wrong with them, (laughs) I wanted to start the show by having you tell people kind of your process. Obviously, you don't need to take us through everything, but just the, the process by which you get to the numbers that can currently be found on DraftSharks.com. Yeah, I think our processes are pretty similar, which which helps. You know, my favorite way to explain it is like you know, the old food pyramid they used to like teach in like elementary school back back in like the 90s. I don't think they do it anymore because I think it's just wrong. We, we've mm-hmm. kind of learned, but it's kind of like that with the projections, right? That you know that the base of the food pyramid used to be carbs. I think it was like they wanted you to eat like a whole crap ton of bread every day or something. Um, now it's like the exact opposite, but anyways, um, you know, that, so the, the base level of projections is like the team level stuff. And that's like, how many offensive plays is this team going to run? You know, what kind of pace do they play at kind of feeds into that. And then it's the run pass split. And, and that, that sort of fuels everything that tells us, you know, how many times we expect this team to throw the ball, how many times we expect this team to run the ball. The next level of the pyramid is the volume stuff. And it's, it's the shares It's you know, shares of pass attempts, shares of carries, shares of the team's targets that sort of sets the how much volume you you know again you apply those shares to the raw number of pass attempts the raw number of run attempts and you get pass attempt projections for players rush attempt projections target projections for all these guys and then the last level you know kind of the top of it is the efficiency stuff that's the you know yards per pass attempt yards per carry yards per catch catch rate touchdown rate 
you you know apply that to the volume stuff and that kind of spits out the the final numbers the you know stats that we care about that score us fantasy points yeah you can think of it as a venn diagram where it's like team situation run pass split production of the player um you know put all those things together and where it intersects in the middle is where you come out with the projection for that player which is obviously still a starting point because we're talking about ranges of outcomes on these guys and we're always looking for upside of course um you wrote up a March 8th article called 102 things I learned doing 2022 projections. Um, what were some of the most surprising things or significant things, even if they didn't surprise you, what are, what are the, what are some big things that people should know from those 102 things? I think all 102 are pretty big. So you should definitely check out the article. Um, but I, I picked out a few that I thought were most important. And a lot of these are team level stuff, which I, I think is still underrated. I mean, if, and if you do projections, you see it like, changing the run pass split or changing the you know number of plays you project the team to run like that really impacts projections. Again, that's kind of the base level that kind of impacts everything else. Um, so, so like one of them, you know, before I did projections, I thought it was going to be lower than consensus on the Bengals passing game, like Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase in particular. But then, then I sat down and kind of looked at the Bengals last year and two things that were interesting. And one, I think people know more than the other. And that that's that the Bengals started to pass more, over the course of the season and especially late in the season into the playoffs, uh, they were 51 and a half percent pass in neutral situations through week 15. That spiked to 59% from week 16 through the Super Bowl. So they did get quite a bit past every. The other thing though is Bengals uh, 61 and a half offensive snaps per game last year. That was just 25th in the NFL. And that was down significantly from the first two seasons under head coach Zach Taylor, 65 0.6 plays per game and 65.0 plays per game in those first two seasons. So for whatever reason, they were just a lower volume offense last season. I would expect that to spike back up this coming season. And again, I think their pass rate for the entire 2022 season is going to be higher than it was in 2021. So those two things kind of had me more on the Bengals passing game than I thought I was going to be. I think those kinds of things are the reality that make projections important because you can look at situations and generally have a pretty good idea of whether you're going to like it or dislike it versus market value. But it's when you dig into stuff like the pace of the offense, the pass run split, you know, particular splits between players throughout the season, whether it's because of injury or just shifts in usage during the year. Those are the things that you, you can't, it's tougher to notice as the season's going and it's tougher to realize when you're looking at end of the season numbers even so you know sometimes we find numbers like that that don't ultimately mean anything or that change the next year other times we can find things where shifts or regression in either direction are particularly important to the numbers that we should expect and where we should be drafting these guys so yeah i like to dig into that stuff as well baltimore is another season that uh, season another team that shifted pre- uh, quite significantly in run pass split last year, not quite to the degree Buffalo did the year before, but pretty significant versus what they were doing before. And we knew that some, I don't know if positive regression, some lean toward the pass was probably coming last year just because of how run heavy they had been the previous two seasons. So they went from, well, actually I'll, I'll throw it to you first. How are you treating the Baltimore offense Looking back at the past two seasons where two years ago they were so run heavy and last year they made that pretty significant lean toward the pass from where they had been. Yeah, so they were 44% pass in Greg Roman's first two seasons, which is, you know, insanely run heavy. That spiked to 56.5% pass this past season. And that was by design. If you look at the situation neutral 
stuff. You know, they went from 42.6% pass in neutral situations and 44% pass in Roman's first two seasons to 53.8% pass in neutral situations last year. That was 12th league wide. So they were actually above average pass rate when, you know, the, the score and down and distance didn't dictate their, their play calling. Um, now you go back and think about what happened to the Ravens last year. They lost their entire backfield in the summer. J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, even Justice Hill went down in the summer with, with season-ending injury. So I think that definitely impacted what we ended up seeing as far as run-pass split for the Ravens. But, you know, I, I think a lean towards the pass was coming anyways. I mean, you know, the Ravens have spent first-round picks on wide receivers in two of the last three years now. You know, Marquise Brown three years ago, Rashad Bateman last year. They also made Mark Andrews one of the highest-paid tight ends in the NFL. So they've been investing in the investing in the past game. Again, I think that was coming projecting 2022. I did take Baltimore down a bit from what we saw last year, but, I, but I'm closer to what we saw last year than what we saw the previous two seasons. Yeah. Neutral situations matter, of course, because if a team is winning, it's more likely to run the ball to protect that lead. If it's trailing, it's more likely to throw the ball to catch up. So it's important to look at what they did in neutral situations. And last year, even in victories, Baltimore was 51.7% pass. Even in Lamar Jackson games, they were 54.9% pass. So, you know, both of those situations are going to make you run more because Lamar Jackson turns pass attempts into runs when he's playing in the game. So I agree. Uh, they were going to lean a bit more toward the pass based on things they had done leading into last year and the um, situation that they were in. I don't think that they're going to lean further past this year. We'll see where they go, but I think I'm I'm in the same area as you as far as what we're expecting. But they are still set up to continue along a similar path to what they had last year. Marquise Brown heads into year four. He's advanced each season to this point. Rashad Bateman's in year two. He, of course, started last season not even playing because he was hurt. And Mark Andrews is just one of the top tight ends in the league at this point, got his extension last September. So this is a team with some pretty significant passing game pieces. We'll get those running backs healthy this year. I mean, all of that could just make this a boom offense, and maybe all of the pieces that we're looking at are good to draft. Yeah, and remember, Lamar Jackson missed, uh, I think it was – six or seven games last year with injury. I did look into that. The Ravens situation neutral pass rate didn't really change in games with Tyler Huntley, which was a little surprising, but um, you know, a healthier Lamar Jackson, I think would only boost the, the pass rate. And in most of those Tyler Huntley games, they had end of season Devonte Freeman and Latavius Murray. So it's like, we, we can't run the ball guys. <laughs> I'd love to, but we can't, we just got to have this guy throw at the mark. Right. Any early contender that you see for being that significant shift in pass run rate this year? I, I think the Browns are the obvious one. You know, they, they were 27th in pass rate last season, 20th in situation neutral pass rate. But then you go from Baker Mayfield to Deshaun Watson, you make a trade for Amari Cooper. So I, I think Cleveland is going to pass it more. I think exactly how much more is a question. Like I have them at 56% pass right now. That's projecting a six game suspension for Deshaun Watson, which I think they'd obviously run more in those games. So I, I could you know see them creeping towards 60% pass if somehow, you know, Watson gets out of this without any suspension. I think Watson, similar to Lamar Jackson, turned some of those pass attempts into run plays as well. So it might even be a little deceiving once we get that uh, end of season percentage, but I, mm -hmm. I agree. There's potential there. I think Denver is another candidate for a significant yeah. shift. Fifth lowest neutral pass rate in 2021. Now, of course they have a new coaching staff. They're pretty well stocked at wide receiver. And by the way, traded for Russell Wilson, this offseason. So 56% pass overall last year compared with 58.4% for Green Bay, which is the offense that Nathaniel Hackett came from, was the OC there, is a new head coach in Denver. 
when you look at those two percentages, it's not a, a big gap between Denver and Green Bay, but you also have to consider Denver was seven and 10. Green Bay was 13 and four. So they're going to run the ball a little bit more. Denver is going to pass the ball a little bit more and still they threw the ball at a lower rate than the Packers did last season. So I think this is a team that could sneak up on 60% should at least get closer to that number. You know, maybe they do get to 60 plus percent. They're certainly built um, to do that currently, particularly with Javante Williams and not a whole lot else besides Mike Boone in the backfield. Yeah. The Packers were top 11 in situational neutral pass rate in each of the last three seasons under Hackett. Um, Of course, you know, we have Aaron Rodgers, which is going to, you know, push you in that direction. But now with Russell Wilson in Denver, I think you're going to see something similar. So yeah, I have Denver's pass rate climbing from last year. Um, two other teams I have here, the Cardinals are interesting. So the Cardinals um, were just, they, they finished just 23rd in pass rate last season, but they were fourth in situation neutral pass rate. So that, that tells me is, you know, the fact that they were leading in so many games, you know, they, they ended up with a, a nice record last season. That sort of resulted in them running more than they kind of plan to heading into these games. So if you expect the Cardinals to drop off even a little bit this coming coming season, maybe not be leading so much, I, I think that's going to lead to a bit more of a lean towards the past this this coming season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could certainly see that. So we've laid your food pyramid base for the rankings show. Let's get to talking about some specific players and go by position. Of course, we'll start at quarterback. Jared, who's the first guy that, that stands out to you that's worth mentioning here? I think if anyone goes on draft charts right now and looks at our quarterback rankings, like the, the name that's going to stick out to you is Aaron Rodgers, who we have down at 19th, which feels uncomfortable. You know, I'd probably even draft him a few spots higher than that, but that's kind of where he comes out in the numbers right now. seems obvious, but like he lost Devonta Adams, which was like, you know, 30 to 40% of the Packers passing game over the past few years. And the Packers have done nothing to replace him as of now. And there's, there's still some names out there, you know, Will Fuller, is the big one, I think. Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham are still out there. And then the Packers have the two first-round picks in the draft later this month. So they're going to add pieces. You know, we'll see exactly what they do. But as of now, it's, you know, Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb and Amari Rodgers. You have Robert Tunney coming off the torn ACL. And then beyond that, I mean, Rodgers is 38 years old. So at some point, you're going to expect a drop-off in his play. He doesn't give you anything on the ground, really, anymore. Um, 101 rushing yards last season. That was 30th among quarterbacks. So he used to be a guy you could, you know, get – 250 to 350 rushing yards of that's not the case anymore at this point. So, um, you know, awesome player, but I think there are just a lot of concerns for Rodgers heading into the season right now. And he's, you know, at ADP, I'm definitely avoiding him right now. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not even uncomfortable with where he is. Uh, He's a a total avoid for me right now versus the market price, because I don't think the drafters have properly adjusted him since Devontae Adams left the team. And if you're going to rank Aaron Rodgers 13th, as opposed to a QB 10 ADP, why not have him 19th? Because you're not drafting him anyway at where the market says you need to. Uh, and I don't think there's a whole lot of upside from anywhere in that range. So the only way that I'll get interested is if he does fall way down to the range where we have him. And, you know, the reasons are just what you said. The Packers have lost Devontae Adams, who caught 111 passes or more in three of the past four seasons. He caught 10 plus touchdowns in five of the past six seasons. The only year in that range where he missed either of those was where he missed four games in 2019. The beginning of that Devontae Adams range was when the Packers had Jordy Nelson. They had prime Randall Cobb right now. They don't even actually have Alan Lazard on the roster. He is he has a restricted free agent tender, hasn't signed it yet. So he's probably back with the team, but not a sure thing yet. 
And Alan Lazard is the upside guy right now for what they have. It's him, it's Robert Tunyon, and it's age 32 Randall Cobb. They're probably going to add a rookie. Who knows what we can expect from that guy. And based on the way Green Bay has been drafting, I don't know if we can even say probably a first-round rookie wide receiver. So that's a team that could really use Brandon Cooks. I think that's what would have to happen. That specific thing of them trading for Brandon Cooks would have to happen for me to really consider Aaron Rodgers at market price. Otherwise, I don't have any reason to draft him over guys like Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr. I think both of those guys have as much weekly upside as Aaron Rodgers at this point, and they have much more attractive stacking partners. Yeah, I think it's tough to imagine his efficiency not dropping off without Adams. And I, I also have Green Bay projected to run it more this coming season. I just, you know, you lose your best wide receiver and you have two good running backs in Aaron Jones and AJ Dillons. I, I just think uh, Rodgers' volume is probably going to decline this coming season too. I have more subtler options, more subtler. I have good English to go with it too, but I have subtler options at quarterback to mention, and it's at the top of the rankings. Lamar Jackson at two in our rankings, Kyler Murray at four. That's not a long way from where they're going in ADP, but it is a little bit ahead of their ADPs, and I think it's in a range where that matters. So the rushing gives each of these guys – chances of unseating Josh Allen. I'm not betting on, and we're not collectively betting on anybody outscoring Josh Allen in fantasy this year. But if it's going to happen, it's going to either take, you know, somebody like Justin Herbert having an otherworldly touchdown rate passing, or these guys having a really good passing year and a really good rushing year. And I think that those are realistic possibilities. Both Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray are going in round five of FFPC drafts. You can find that ADP on draft sharks right now. And I think that's a particularly interesting range because that four or five turn can be a sluggish range for running back wide receiver tight end where you don't have anybody that you're excited about. Now, traditionally, I think we all, and I mean like you and me and most of the people probably watching or listening right now are reluctant to take a quarterback that high, but all quarterback values have been pushed up to this point. So it's an okay range to take somebody and especially if it's the kind of quarterback that has that position leading upside. So I think these are really the first two guys that I'm especially interested in considering as my first quarterback in a one QB draft. Yeah, me too. Uh, Lamar Jackson, especially again, he had the injury issues last year. So I think people are kind of forgetting what he did the previous few years. I do think that Ravens passing game is still ascending. We talked about, you know, Marquise Brown kind of just hitting his prime now, Rashad Bateman year two, Mark Andrews has emerged as, you know, one of the best pass catching tight ends in the NFL. Kyler, I've been shying away from a bit more. I probably shouldn't be. It's just been a funky offseason with him with all the, you know, stuff with the Cardinals organization and the baseball talk and all that. I mean, I don't, I don't buy in it. I think he's going to be in Arizona this season. I, I guess my bigger concern there is, you know, they lost Christian Kirk and AJ Green. They haven't really done anything yet to replace those guys. So it's kind of, you know, DeAndre Hopkins. I still believe in Rondell Moore. But it's, you know, it's Antoine Wesley right now is their their third receivers. That's a bit of a concern, but I I mean, I probably should start drafting more Kyler because I still do think like outside of Josh Allen, he's probably the best bet to lead quarterbacks in fantasy points because he's the guy that can throw for 4,500 yards and run for a thousand yards. I would call Lamar Jackson the best bet, but I do think Kyler Murray's up there and I'm just looking up his touchdown rate right now. So his TD his passing TD rate so far, 3.7%, 4.7%. And 5%. So over his first three years, he's ranked among the top fantasy scorers at the position. And he hasn't had that outlandish passing TD rate yet. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I guess I, I still 
get more excited about Murray's passing upside than Lamar Jackson's. Uh, maybe that maybe that's not right, but I, I do think you know Jackson's still the better bet for the rushing production. Yeah, and I mean, I think that one other attractive thing, we'll talk about it when we get to wide receivers, but um, there's an attractive stacking option with Kyler Murray and really even some other lower-level guys. Antoine Wesley, because he's not going to be a discussion topic later in this particular show, but he's been an interesting best ball candidate for me because he's not going anywhere. He's, He's outside of draft range in ADP. So if you're drafting Antoine Wesley, you're taking somebody that has the upside to be a starting outside wide receiver with Kyler Murray, who, again, I think that you're taking at a value spot right now. So it's a differentiating pick. Even if he hits for a couple of games, that's good value on the 20th round price that you're paying for Antoine Wesley. Um, so that that whole combo, I think, makes him worth keeping in mind. And I, I kind of liked Wesley coming out of Texas Tech. Um, you know, He's a big guy. I think he's a pretty good mover. You look at what he did last year when he got the chance. It really wasn't that impressive. You know, the, the PFF grades and the yards per route run wasn't very good. He scored a few touchdowns, which, which sort of propped up the fantasy points. Um, so not going overboard with him. I do expect Arizona to add some competition via the draft or free agency, but I do think Wesley's going to have a, at least a chance to, you know, win that other outside uh, outside starting job opposite uh, Hopkins this summer. Yeah. And again, if you're drafting him, you're taking him in the final round or close, depending on the size of your best ball draft. So yeah. no investment with at least some upside. Anyone else that you want to highlight at quarterback? Yeah, so Trevor Lawrence has been my favorite like quarterback to target in best ball drafts right now. I'm I'm just I'm giving him a mulligan for last year with Urban Meyer. It was just a total mess. You look at Trevor Lawrence's football career before last year, like every season was strong before last year. I, I think Doug Peterson is a big upgrade at coach, at play caller there. You look at what he did in Philly. He he ran fast paced, pass heavy offenses with the Eagles. Um all five of Peterson's teams finished top eight in offensive plays. All five finished top 14 in situation neutral pass rate. So I think you're going to get a high volume pass heavy offense in Jacksonville this season. The Jags added pieces. I mean, you can argue how good those pieces are in Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram, but at least they added options for Trevor Lawrence. He gets Travis Etienne back after he missed his entire rookie season. I think that's going to be big. And then Lawrence kind of, you know, as we expected, gave us sneaky rushing last year. He was fifth among all quarterbacks in rushing attempts, eighth among all quarterbacks in rushing yards. I think you can kind of continue to expect that level of rushing production from him going forward. So that only helps too. Yeah. I've been a fan of drafting Trevor Lawrence ever since these drafts started because he's been going in a range where you, you don't really have to bet on him. You can say, Oh, there's a chance that he does something. And if he's not special from, you know, QB 16, I think I'll be all right, especially in best ball terms. Deshaun Watson isn't, a highlight player in the same vein as the other quarterbacks we've talked about, but I wanted to talk about him before we move to a different position. Cause if you look at the overall rankings, he's 15. If you sort by points per game, he's sixth. Now I think that highlights the uncertainty here. You said earlier in the show, you're factoring in a six game suspension. That seems to be the popular guess, something in that six to eight game range based on some suspensions for Zeke Elliott, Kareem Hunt, um, in, in past seasons, none of us really knows if we get a full season of Deshaun Watson, he's going to be a value pick in any, in any draft where he's going right now. And then, you know, the downside, I guess, uh, the suspension could be longer than that. So obviously he's a who knows player at this point. I've generally been holding off on him, but I don't know anything else to add on your view of Watson going forward. 
No, I actually have been taking some Watson, especially in these tournaments. Um, so I do think, you know, he's that upside guy in tournaments. I think Amari Cooper and, and David Njoku as stacking partners are both coming at pretty good values too. So I've, I've made that stack on a few of those teams. But as you said, I mean, it's, it's just guessing right now. I, I do feel confident in him being like a top eight fantasy quarterback when he's on the field this season. But how many games we're going to get out of him, you know, that's just a, a total guess right now. And can I say, in addition to, you know, the whole – situation just just feeling dirty the nfl continues to be gutless in terms of uh, handing out the the punishment i don't know exactly what they're waiting for on this front but you know them continuing to say that they're doing their research is just garbage i wish they would just you know step up and do something here agreed on to running back uh jared the first guy that i'm bringing up is alvin Kamara, and he's really one that could go either way he's a potentially huge value right now if he does not get suspended and we talked about the watson situation but Kamara's situation doesn't seem nearly as serious. I, I would guess that if we get a suspension at all here, we're talking about something in the two-game range. And I, I don't think that really moves the needle on his upside for best ball drafting or really for lineup setting drafting once we get there. So I think there's potential for him to be a huge value. We have him projected, I believe it's RB9. I didn't write down the exact number here, but he's going – RB11 on FFPC. Oh, he's RB7 in our PPR rankings. I do have it down. RB11 on FFPC in the same range on underdog and other places. So there's a chance that he's a huge value there because, again, that's four spots, but we're talking about a range where four spots could be a round of difference in draft position. Downside, of course, there were some indicators that pointed to um, a decline in production last season when he was on the field. Maybe that continues this year. Yeah, his lowest career PFF rushing and receiving grades came last year. Um, so that's a bit of a concern. I think I think it's more the suspension risk risk that's pushing him down in ADP right now. Uh, I, I think the moves the Saints have made at quarterback this offseason, you know, basically telling us that Jameis Winston is going to be the guy, and you know they're moving Taysom Hill back to tight end or whatever. Uh, I think that's good for Alvin Kamara though, because you know Hill. Stole carries, including at the goal line, um, you know, lower pass rate with Taysom Hill in there. I think Jameis Winston helps Kamara's passing game outlook. So I think it's all, that's all been good news for Kamara. I, I'm comfy with him anywhere in the second round of these drafts right now, you know, be, before we know what the suspension is going to be. I agree. And again, I, I'm drafting him as though the downside is a couple of games suspension because, you know, as, as I mentioned, we see the NFL dragging its feet whenever possible. You know, unless more comes out about his situation, it just doesn't seem like the kind of uh, deal the NFL is going to take a huge stand on and make an example out of Kamara. So I, I've been drafting him for sure. His FFPC ADP is 301. I mean, I think anytime Alvin Kamara makes it into round three, he's well worth the risk. I mean, imagine thinking even a year ago you could pair, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara together. Um, you know, Kamara was a top five pick at this time last year. And another running back that I'll be talking about in a minute, but I want to let you pick out any running back that that you you are choosing to highlight versus our rankings. Yeah, so I'm out on Derrick Henry, and if you if you're you know following our rankings at all, you're not going to be drafting him because he's he's still you know going in the middle of the first round of these drafts. Um, and you know last year's injury not a concern for me, especially after we saw him return for that playoff loss to the Bengals, but. Um, you know, Henry is 28 years old now, you know, that's getting up there for running back, especially when you consider all the, the carries he's taken on over the past few years. If you look at some of his advanced metrics, his missed tackles forced per attempt and his yards after contact per attempt have all declined in the past for three straight seasons. Now um, he earned his lowest PFF rushing grade last, last year, since his rookie season, there are signs that the decline has started with Derrick Henry and he still has no 
cushion from passing game production. So if his, if his, you know, rushing production starts to tail off, you know, he's not going to save himself with the passing game stuff. So, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, um, but I'm, I'm just passing on the risk I see with Derrick Henry, you know, in, in the first round of fantasy drafts right now. And I mean, it's much easier to see the path for further decline than it is to see, you know, a rebound to the numbers yeah. that made it look at the beginning of last season, like we all made a huge mistake if we didn't draft Derrick Henry in round one, you know, just on, on one hand, it was, it's outlandish production. It was, last year's numbers were the kind of thing that don't normally continue or happen season over season. And then we look around them, the quarterback's getting older. The passing game is in rough shape. I mean, they brought in Robert Woods, but he's coming off an ACL tear. He's getting older. So there's just not exciting things going on in Tennessee and betting against an aging running back who obviously takes a pounding and has taken a ton of carries betting against him rebounding is just generally going to be a better idea. Sometimes it'll be, you know, Adrian Peterson coming back from his ACL there, but it's much more often going to be not Adrian Peterson coming off his ACL there. And yeah, with someone like Henry, we were talking full PPR, like with the lack of pass catching production, like he, he needs to have absurd rushing stats to to really hurt you. If you're passing on him in the mid first round, like he, it's, it's much tougher for him to, you know, lead the position in fantasy points than, than, you know, someone like Christian McCaffrey, who's going to catch all those passes. And, you know, let's say the Titans stink this year. Let's say they're, they win six games, probably rushing volumes coming down, even if everything else is positive on Derrick Henry. Yep. Another guy who is coming off injury and we need to count on for a rebound is not getting a pass from fantasy drafters. And that's Saquon Barkley, who is basically, the same kind of case for me as Alvin Kamara, obviously without the arrest that's going to have a suspension coming or, or that might have a suspension coming. Saquon Barkley's going even later. RB15 in FFPC uh, ADP. He's RB9 in our rankings. And frankly, I think even that's conservative. And it's understandable why everyone, including us, would be conservative on Barkley at this point because the past two years, we haven't seen a whole lot from him. Two years ago, it was the ACL that ended his season week two. Last year, it was clearly affecting him entering the year. He remained sluggish in terms of performance throughout. Uh, even the year before that, even be- the year before the ACL injury, he had a high ankle sprain. So maybe he's just not the player that we knew from his rookie season and into his second year but maybe he is. Uh, if we get anything near the Saquon Barkley peak, I mean, his upside could be challenging for the top of the position in fantasy points, especially if this offense is due for a big step forward under new coaching staff. You don't have to bet on that happening. You don't have to bet on peak Saquon Barkley, I think, for him to be a good buy at his price right now, though. And that's why I like him. Yeah, his our projection for him is definitely conservative, and I, I wanted to make it conservative at this point of the offseason, you know, because of all those, you know, the injuries really that he's dealt with over the past few years. Like you said, he still comes out RB9 with conservative projections, and that's kind of the thing. It's like even if you do think Barkley is washed or all the injuries have caught up to him, like where where else is the, the running back volume going in New York? Like there are other running backs right now are Matt Breda, Gary Brightwell and Antonio Williams. I, I we'll see what they add in the draft. But like as it stands now, like Barkley's getting the work. So even if he's not efficient, like volume alone is, is gonna you know make him a top ten fantasy running back. So I, I yeah I'm I'm with you. Um, I, before I kind of sat down and do projections, I didn't know where I was gonna stand on Barkley. But now going through this and looking at where his ADP is, like I think he's such an easy buy in the third round of drafts. Yeah, and we're not talking about a 28 or 29-year-old player here. We're not talking about an eighth-season running back. We're talking about somebody who's still young in his run. He's not done with his rookie contract yet. So, I mean, 
the only thing to not like about Barkley is he was hurt the past couple of years. So we've seen plenty of guys come off those, you know, injury risk, uh, push down the ranking seasons and then rebound in a big way. If you bet on them. Yeah. And have you ever seen a flukier injury than Saquon's ankle injury last year, you know, steps on a Cowboys foot and rolls. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to call him injury prone. Like I think, you know, he, before, the ACL and the ankle, like at Penn State, you know, he held up pretty well. So I, I, I think he's he's built for big workload. So, um, again, I'm definitely a buyer uh, as long as he's in round three. And even if he gets into round two, I think, you know, that's that's a fair price for Saquon. Yeah, I started out buying him in round two. And then I was like, wait a second. I, I can wait until round three and still get him? All right. I'll let you guys do that for me. I mean, I, you know, ultimately, depending on where things go, I think he can make sense with the running backs in that end of round one and the beginning of round two range. So yeah. we got a long way to go before we get there, but I, I don't think that would be a crazy range for him. Yeah, I agree. Any other running backs that stand out for you? No, Barkley was the other guy I wanted to highlight there. I got to throw out J.K. Dobbins because I was too positive. I got to go back to the negative. And I think that it looks like he's being overdrafted right now. Top 18 in ADP among running backs, 27th in our PPR rankings. And it's the same issue that we've had before on J.K. Dobbins. I, I love the talent here too, folks. So if you hear that and you're like, but J.K. Dobbins is awesome, I, I agree. The problem is he's still in Baltimore. Gus Edwards is still around. The last time we saw these two guys playing together, they were splitting work. I don't think that Gus Edwards is going to match J.K. Dobbins in carries and receptions at this point. But I also don't think that Gus Edwards is going to be Tyson Williams this year. So that is working against him. Lamar Jackson is still not good for the touch volume outlook, especially the receiving side. So I just don't think that his draft position matches up with the realistic outlook on J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I mean, you said it. It's just a volume problem. Like I, you know, I haven't projected for four point eight yards per carry, which is a, a huge number. But Dobbins in our projections, twenty ninth among running backs in carries and thirty fourth among running backs in targets. So, you know, unless that part of the projection is wrong, um, it's going to be basically impossible for him to pay off at his ADP right now. Right, he needs a Gus Edwards injury to really, yeah. like, you know, help him explode from that point. And even then, I kind of think Baltimore would, would make a move to add another piece because if you go back and look at Greg Roman's history like he he uses committee backfields he does not ride one guy on to wide receiver who's your first standout here DeAndre Hopkins is a guy I've been drafting a lot and you know the late third round he gets into the fourth round sometimes um obviously disappointed last year you know injury was a big part of that he missed seven games missed most uh, of an eighth game um but even then he finished only 22nd in PPR points per game and the big problem was his volume declined a ton from the previous season just a 21.6% target share for Hopkins last season in his nine healthy games that was down from 27.8% in 2022 or sorry in 2020 Hopkins finished second among all wide receivers in total targets in 2020 I think we could see him get back to that level this season and again it's because we we mentioned before Arizona lost Christian Kirk AJ Green and they lost Chase Edmonds in free agency um, those guys combined for 42% of the Cardinals targets last season. So again, you know, we'll see what they add in the draft and there's still some names in free agency, but I, I just think it's set up for Hopkins to again, you know, be a top five wide receiver in terms of, you know, target share and, and total targets this season. DeAndre Hopkins has, has felt to me like he was going a little bit too late ever since draft season started. So I was happy to see your numbers indicate that that was the case. He had, if you look at the PFF metrics, he had elite performance for four straight years before 2021. So even last year's decline 
is a decline from elite to just really good performance. He also had a 19% touchdown rate uh, last year. Now, the way you mentioned the, the loss of target share, the way that this offseason is trending, he could absolutely reclaim dominant target share, at the very least add back some of the target share that he lost last season. He's going just outside wide receiver one range. We have him at wide receiver nine in PPR. I think the ceiling ultimately is much higher than that. Now, we are talking about a guy going into his 10th season. It's his age 30 season. If we look, Jared, at the aging table that we have added to our dynasty projections this year that helps us, you know, realistically project these guys long term, there is a significant step historically for wide receivers, and it's down, obviously, from year nine to year 10. It's also a less severe step than the one from year 10 to year 11 and year 11 to year 12. So we're not quite into crash range. We're into mildly declining range. Still, that leaves us two paths, I think, to Hopkins delivering upside beyond where we're drafting him right now. The first is that he doesn't decline at that average rate. And again, you know, when I talk about that rate, that's average for the position. He's an elite player. He's been an elite player. So maybe he doesn't decline at the same rate as other wide receivers. But even if he does, the other path is that he reclaims the target volume and makes up for the performance decline by simply getting more opportunities. So if either one of those things comes to fruition for me, then I win on where I'm drafting him right now. And if they both come together, I think that's where we have top five upside for DeAndre Hopkins at the position. And as you said, he comes in at wide receiver nine for us. That's where he was, right? Wide receiver nine in, in PPR. Uh, and and that that's factoring in some decline. Like I have him at 8.6 yards per target this season. He was at 8.9 last year, 8.8 the year before, you know, his first two years, his two years so far in Arizona. So I am factoring in some decline, but again, you talk about the increase in volume, which I'm pretty confident is coming. Um, and again, going back to Arizona, I, I have them passing more this season again, because they led so much last season that kind of resulted in them running a bit more than they probably wanted to. So I have their pass rate going up. So, you know, combine all that together. And I think, you know, Hopkins is, is a value where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah. Throw in that Kyler Murray is going in a range that I said, I think is a value range. And it, it's an, it's an attractive stack, both players with significant upside over what they um, are currently being drafted at. And, you know, not just upside that I think I can see, but upside that each of them has already displayed in the past. Yep, agreed. First player I want to highlight at this position is Jamar Chase. And you mentioned how you expected to be lower than market, and we're not significantly lower. He's fourth in our PPR rankings. He's second in ADP. But that's enough of a move to put him behind Justin Jefferson. And that is my lean if I'm choosing between them in round one. And that's why it matters because if you choose Justin Jefferson over Jamar chase, then in general, you're not going to get Jamar chase. You know, if I'm drafting that decision 10 times, it's not going to be 10 Justin Jefferson's it's going to be six or seven Jefferson. So I don't want to be totally out on Jamar chase, but I am going to be lower than market. I, I don't think that you can love Jamar Chase and T Higgins at cost right now, unless you think Joe Burrow is going to explode this year, unless he's going to have Tom Brady's season from last year, which either means 40 plus pass attempts per game or six and a half percent plus touchdown rate. It's tough to bet on all of these things coming together. So I think among those three things, T Higgins at the, you know, bottom of wide receiver one to top of wide receiver two range, that feels like the comfiest bet among those three main Cincinnati players in the passing game to me. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. And I, I, I don't want to be low on Jamar Chase. Like, you know, he looked like an elite prospect coming out of LSU and then just turned in, you know, one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from a wide receiver. But like, you know, if he's going to be going, he's fourth overall in ADP right now. Um, it's just a bit too high for me. Like to me, Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson are the top two wide receivers. And you could definitely argue Chase three, you know, we have Devontae Adams ahead of him right now, but I think those guys are, are interchangeable. So it's, yeah, I'm definitely going to try to get some, some shares of Jamar Chase, but um, he's, he's just pricier right now. You're definitely not getting any type of discount on him. I will say in a format like underdog, like the FFPC best ball tournament where it's one and done come playoff time, then I'm definitely more worried about missing on Jamar Chase or being out on him because yeah, the spike week he showed us late last year, he's as good as anybody and better than most in that area. So that's where you could be in trouble if you don't have Jamar Chase. But if we're looking at a format that's scoring the entire season, and then certainly once we get to actually lineup setting leagues, I'm okay with being a tad bit lower than consensus on Jamar Chase. Yep. Same here. Uh, What other receiver you want to single out? Yeah, so a guy I'm kind of sadly out on at cost right now is Elijah Moore, who who I love as a player. I think we definitely saw flashes in his rookie season, but you know he's wide receiver 20 in ADP right now. That's that's you know 10 to 15 spots higher than he sits in our rankings. Um, you know, part of my issue with him is volume. Like I I don't think he's going to hog targets in New York this season. We have Corey Davis back. Um, they brought Braxton Berrios back, who you know saw more targets when he, he was in there last season than I think any of us expected. They added two tight ends in free agency and Tyler Conklin and CJ Ozoma. Then you look at a lot of mock drafts and you know these these guys have the Jets taking a wide receiver with one of their two first round picks. They have the fourth overall pick and the tenth overall pick. I think tenth overall is definitely a spot you could see them go wide receiver. Even beyond that, the Jets have uh, the 35th and 38th overall picks. You know, so they have two early second rounders. I think they're going to add a wide out. So volume questions for Elijah Moore and then Zach Wilson, I think is a major question for me. Like he was just really bad last season, any type of metric you want to look at. And even going back to his college profile, like to me, he looked like a boomer bust prospect and he's shading towards bust now after what we saw as a rookie. So um, the volume and quarterback concerns, uh, I, I, I just can't take more at ADP right now. Yeah. Elijah Moore is the JK Dobbins of wide receivers. We love him as a player, but so does everybody else. And that just pushes his value up. And it's just, he's going to have to get 25% plus target share to pay off where he's going. And is that possible? Absolutely. But am I going to bet on it happening plus good efficiency to strong efficiency from that number of opportunities? Uh, I'm just not willing to bet on it at this stage where I need to. Yep. Debo Samuel is somebody that is the opposite of DeAndre Hopkins, basically. As soon as draft started and I saw where he was going, I was like, no way. And then sometimes I start that way with a player and then projections come out. I'm like, all right, I guess I like him better than I thought I did. Absolutely not the case with Debo Samuel, who is holding strong at the one-two turn in underdog ADP. He's middle around two in FFPC ADPs, wide receiver six in both places, our PPR rankings have him wide receiver 14, half PPR rankings, which you can now easily view on the Draft Sharks ranking pages. We have him wide receiver 12. So either way, nowhere close really to where you're going to have to take him in these drafts. And that combo for me, you know, we talked about Jamar Chase a few minutes ago. That's not somebody I want to be totally out on. At everything that Debo has going on here at the range where I'd have to take him, I'm absolutely completely out. And I'm not even kind of uncomfortable about being so just all of the paths to him disappointing 
from that range. Like he could have a just okay season and crush you at that price. He could get hurt and obviously crush you. Trey Lance could have a rough passing year and drag the whole thing down. Maybe Debo's role mirrors what he did the second half of last year, where he averaged only five targets over the final eight games and scored on 13.6% of his rushing attempts, which is an absurd number. That's not going to happen again. So he, everything about him screams regression from last year, which doesn't even bake in the downside of, you know, unforeseeable things or even foreseeable things going wrong. Yeah. There's no way to do legitimate projections and have Debo Samuel come out like anywhere close to where he is in ADP. Like you either have to project, like volume we've never seen before in terms of like targets plus carries for a wide receiver or just like insane efficiency. Like we got last year, but you just can't, you can't expect that to continue, you know, go, going forward. Um, now after the NFL draft, you know, in about, about a month here, we'll, we'll have our floor and ceiling projections for all these guys. And Debo ceiling wise will probably come out, you know, higher than where he is in the baseline projections at wide receiver 14. Cause because of that efficiency we saw last year, because of the rushing, you know, he is going to have a, a higher ceiling. So that that is definitely worth factoring in. Um, but that that's like more than baked into his current ADP. He's like, to me, he's pretty much priced at his ceiling right now. And then, I mean, his ceiling season for rushing is also going to increase his likelihood of getting injured. So just everything about him tells me not a chance am I considering him at the point where I have to draft him. Yep. Tight end. Or actually, before that, do you have any other wideouts that stand out for you? I have Brandon Cooks here. You you brought up his name before. Um, he, he's just one. He's always undervalued. Um, he's been a guy. I, it's been you know one of my highest drafted wideouts for the past few years. Now he is wide receiver thirty five in ADP right now. He finished wide receiver twenty one last year. He was twelfth among wide receivers and targets, thirteenth in catches, um, and, and he's back in the same situation. Like if he stays in Houston, he's going to dominate target share. I think Davis Mills and we talked about him on the Dynasty show show flashed some last season. So I'm not super worried about quarterback play. Um, and then cooks has been talked about as a trade candidate, like which adds some uncertainty, but I mean, what if he ends up in green Bay or even like Kansas city, like any, you know, any loss in volume is going to be offset by a big upgrade in quarterback play. So I think no matter where cooks ends up playing this coming season at wide receiver 35, he's an easy buy. Yeah. Uh, you people want to draft Elijah Moore cause he's young and exciting. People don't want to draft Brandon cooks because he plays for Houston and he's boring. It's a mistake. You should be, I mean, Brandon Cooks should be ahead of Elijah Moore in ADP at this point, but it'll never happen. So just draft Brandon Cooks. Um, <laughs> tight end, hit me with the first standout there. Yeah. So Dallas Goddard, I think, is my most drafted tight end so far. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised there's not more excitement for him. I feel like for years we were all waiting for like Goddard to be freed of Zach Ertz. And, you know, we, we got it now. We got it over the second half of last season. And we got really everything from Goddard that we would have wanted to get. Um, tongue twister here in those games without Zach Ertz, Goddard saw 24% of the Eagles targets in his nine healthy games without Ertz last season. Now Philly was so run heavy over that span that it, it resulted in only, you know, 6.1 targets per game for Dallas Goddard, which isn't an awesome number. It's not bad at tight end, but Philly, I, I don't think Philly can be that run heavy again this season. So if Goddard stays anywhere near a 24% target share, he's going to, you know, finish among the top five tight ends in targets. And I have no concerns about his talent level. I think he's, you know, one of the, the best pass catching tight ends in the NFL. So um, he's just tight end eight in ADP right now, which again, I'm a little surprised about. He's a few spots higher than that in our rankings. I mean, the reason there, I think there are two key reasons that he's down there and it's because 
one, people ha are generally uncertain about the outlook for Jalen Hurts. You can see that in his ADP as well. I think he's going to be the quarterback for Philly. I think he'll be fine as a quarterback going forward. So that is, is kind of the Dallas Goddard not being too high up is somewhat a product of that. The other thing is you talked about the increased usage in the second half of last season. That didn't show itself in overall fantasy number because, as you mentioned, they ran the ball a ton. So he only finished PPR tight end 10. So even number eight in tight end PPR is drafting him ahead of where he finished last season. So it's tougher to see the upside case beyond that. I totally agree with you, though. If you look at our rankings, he is fifth in one and a half PPR rankings, which, of course, is the scoring format for FFPC. So for me, Jared, if you take two things away from this show, one, draft Brandon Cooks, two, draft Dallas Goddard in FFPC leagues, because not only is he good versus tight ends there, but there's extra value in where you can get him because Dallas Goddard's ADP is three rounds behind Kyle Pitts and Darren Waller, who are tight ends three and four. Like I said, we have Dallas Goddard right behind those guys at tight end five. So you can reach ahead of Dallas Goddard and take him in round four to make sure you secure him in an FFPC draft. And you still have picks in round two and round three to spend on running backs or wide receivers to get higher value guys at those positions without losing the value on tight end, according to our numbers. Yeah. I love Goddard in these FFPC drafts. And by the way, you know, even with Philly going super run heavy over the second half of last season and after the Zach Ertz trade, Goddard's PPR scoring average in those nine games without Ertz would have ranked fifth among tight ends. So, you know, that that's kind of the baseline. Then if you expect Philly to throw more, which I definitely do, you know, he, he can finish higher than tight end five. And that's the kind of stuff that shows up when you do these projections the way that we were talking about earlier in the show. You notice trends like that later in the season that that present value. On the other side, we started with the positive. I say do not target the guy that's right behind Dallas Goddard in ADP right now, and that is Dawson Knox. He's tight end nine in FFPC ADP. He is tight end 17 in our one and a half PPR rankings, and that might seem crazy, but even if you realize that he was touchdown reliant last year, you probably don't realize to what degree. He scored on 18.4% of his catches last season. Among the top 50 fantasy tight ends in 2021, only Jawan Johnson and Jimmy Graham had higher touchdown rates than did Dawson Knox. Hunter Henry is the only other tight end who caught more than four touchdowns and had a touchdown rate of 12% or higher. So that number is obviously coming down. Now you might say, okay, but he can counter that by getting more target share. You know, maybe that happens. I'm not betting on it though, because of the wide receivers that are there and because of OJ Howard. I mean, maybe OJ Howard is, is done and his small one year contract is a sign that the league doesn't value him anymore. And he's, you know, in decline from all the injuries that he's had so far. But the other hand, Maybe O.J. Howard is going to start his rebound now. Maybe he's healthy, and maybe he's still the guy that was a first-round pick a few years ago. Yeah, we're in lockstep here. Um, Knox is the other guy I, I had down. Definitely out on him at his tight end 9 ADP. Just 20th among tight ends in targets last season. You mentioned the, the massive touchdown rate. And he, even you know Knox's underlying metrics were just okay. They were, they were kind of you know below average. So 35 tight ends saw 40-plus targets last season. Knox was 21st among those 35 in PFF receiving grade. He was 23rd among those 35 in yards per route run. So he was just kind of a product of Buffalo's offense being so pass heavy and so good, um, which is going to remain the case 
this season, but you can't expect a touchdown rate. And again, I do think it's possible he loses snaps and targets to OJ Howard. Yeah. If you want to take Dawson Knox, just wait until several rounds later and take New England's Dawson Knox and Hunter Henry, who is the same profile, but is in an offense that doesn't have Stefan Diggs leading the way, doesn't have Gabriel Davis as an exciting young wide receiver uh, and could be a reliant target for his quarterback. It's I, I don't have any reason to take Dawson Knox when I can wait and take Hunter Henry, unless I already have Josh Allen and I'm making the stack. You can wait even longer and take Hayden Hurst, who I think is very similar. He has a lot of target competition, obviously, with all the wide, uh, wide receivers in Cincinnati, but it's, it's going to be a pass heavy offense, going to be a high scoring offense. Um, you know, Hurst could be the guy who, you know, scores on 15% of his, his catches this season. Or he could wait a really long time and take OJ Howard. <laughs> As always, there's a ton of these intriguing later on tight ends. They usually end up disappointing. Um, but I don't know. I, I kind of, I kind of believe in the group this year, you know, David and Joku, we haven't talked about, I, I like him, uh, Hayden Hurst, Albert Okwebunum. I mean, there's 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 guys to be excited about at tight end farther down the, the rankings this this year. Yeah, and I mean that's kind of the point too. We're talking about uh, upside here. We want spike weeks, and obviously that's the upside case for Dawson Knox. But you can wait very late and just pull together three yeah. tight ends who aren't going to be exciting overall, but will give you the spike weeks that you need, and with similar spike week upside to Dawson Knox at a much cheaper price. For sure. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see all of the rankings that we were just discussing. You can sync your FFPC and other drafts to your DraftSharks war room for live updates to your board as you draft. You make the picks. We'll take them off the board for you, and then we'll automatically adjust the rankings based on all the factors that you need to be paying attention to during your draft. You don't have to pay attention because we're paying attention to them for you automatically. You can also find the ADPs we've been referencing on the show, plus our sixth annual Dynasty Prospect Scouting Report series. That includes today's addition to the catalog, Arizona State running back Rashad White, who I got to post uh, shortly after we finish this recording. You can not only read the guys we've profiled so far this offseason, but we link to the previous years as well. You can look back, see how we did, maybe even uncover a sleeper from last year's draft class or the one before. Look at it, look for whatever you want to in those uh, annals. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 